As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me for this week's edition of In the Pocket, it is longtime NFL quarterback Chase Daniel. Chase, how you doing? Good, good man. It's uh, you know, I heard across the country the weather's sort of hit or miss, and out here in sunny San Diego, usually, you know, we're recording it's three thirty right now, and it is like pitch black, raining, like the world is ending type stuff. So it's a little <laughs> bit different for us San Diegans or whatever you want to call it. I guess I would consider myself a Californian now, but uh, it's been a weird, weird weather day. So yeah, I'm ready to go though. Ready to talk, talk ball. We are recording this a little bit later and it's dark right now at 530 <laughs> PM in Chicago yes. right now. So that's yeah. why I'm a little bit thrown off because I'm used to recording this in the afternoon sunshine, but we had a lot of great stuff to get to. We had some notable performances from younger quarterbacks this week and I want to talk about some context surrounding that but before we dig into any of that we had some news this week the Bills come out on Tuesday morning and fire offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey after what was a heartbreaking loss to the Broncos drops Buffalo down to five and five on the outside looking in on the playoff picture and we've talked about this a little bit with Diana when the news happened but I wanted to talk with you sort of about the nuts and bolts that may have led to this or the nuts and bolts that maybe don't justify a move like this so just first and foremost when this happened when it came down when you heard the news what was your initial reaction well the initial reaction was a little bit of shock because this just doesn't seem like a Buffalo Bills team that you likes to make moves during the season. Then all of a sudden, 10 games in, Leslie Frazier's not there, who was their D coordinator last year, right? Mm-hmm. And now, Ken Dorsey's not there, who was their offensive coordinator for the past two years. And so, uh, it's been a little bit uh, – it, like, I was working out, actually, and it came through on my phone, and somebody texted me. I go, wait, what? Because when I watched the game um, – I don't watch it as a fan, okay? I watch it as like I'm in the room game planning and I'm trying to go through the plays that I see on how I would read it, if that makes sense. So sure. it's it's a little bit weird. And honestly, it's a very mentally taxing for me. Um, <laughs> so I can't really, I can't really like enjoy it because I'm always, 
you know, not a critical eye, but I'm always like, okay, well, all right, I see what he did there. And it's just like, it takes me like you 30 seconds. You can't passively watch it. You're actively no. watching it the entire time. Yes. I understand that. I don't, and, I, I don't have the capacity to do that, but I understand yeah. a tiny fraction of what that feels like. It, well, and then also it's like, not only that, now this, this was a standalone game, but think about when you got eight early game windows and you got four on each screen <laughs> and you're just like, oh my, you know, so it's anyway. So anyway, yeah, I was working out and I was in shock because when I was watching the game, I didn't think other than the turnovers, things looked that bad. Like just watching it live, right? Like obviously, obviously you can't turn the ball over and win. And that has been without a doubt the biggest problem of Josh Allen's entire career. This is nothing new. He, since he came in the league in 2018, he leads the league in turnovers and it's by a high margin. It's not even close. And um, so I went in and I just rewatched it. I literally like 20 minutes ago and I thought the exact same thing watching it. It didn't look that bad. Like, it didn't look like they were out of sync. I mean, of course, there were some pass protection issues early in the game. The, the, I mean, the fumble on the first play of the game and almost interception on the second play of the game. I was like, oh, man, like, this is not a good start. Now, you, you, I do take that the, the Denver Broncos defense – Okay, they had five takeaways. They, they had five takeaways against you know the Chiefs, and then they had four. Of this so they have nine takeaways in the last two games. So maybe they found something there. But I, at the end of the day, and I say all this, I, I just think that Sean McDermott needed somebody to fall on the sword, and that somebody, unfortunately, was was Dorsey. And and I don't, I don't think it was. I don't think the move was warranted. If that makes sense. Like watching them play, I don't think that the move was warranted at all. When this stuff happens, this stuff typically happens with teams that are embarrassing. Teams that are truly like the worst performing teams in the NFL, where you need to pull the plug in season because that's how bad it's gotten. Right now, today, the Buffalo Bills rank third in offensive DVOA so far this year. Over And if you want to split it up into halves, Let's say the first five games and the second five games. Yeah. Over the last five games, they lead the NFL in offensive success rate. The amount of their plays that are successful, they are number one. Okay. So, and I know that that's been parroted by a bunch of different people all week. That man, yeah. look at all these metrics about the Bills' offense. How could you possibly fire a guy that is overseeing something like this? I want to go a little bit deeper than that because I do think that maybe there are some underlying issues that are worth digging into. But that's why it was so surprising for me because yeah. they've they have not drop to the level of a team that typically makes a decision like this. Usually you fire a guy 10 weeks into the year because you just can't go on any longer at this yeah. pace. And that's not how the bills feel. It just felt like, like you said, somebody needs to kind of take the brunt of them being this far away from the yeah. team that they want to be in the standings and performance wise. So I get it. If you look at some of the numbers a little bit deeper, we can dig into this. So right now, Everything has stayed pretty much consistent over the last five weeks compared to the first five. The one thing that's changed is the amount of turnovers that are happening. They are turning the ball over on the highest percentage of their drives in the NFL. It's been 22% over the last five weeks. But wow. that, my question is, turnover variance and a couple weird fumbles, is that the reason you should fire your offensive coordinator when your offense is otherwise playing at least okay? Even if you have some issues with it, even if it's a little bit uneven, it still feels like this is a drastic decision when you look at the overall results of what they've put on the field so far this year. 
I think it definitely wasn't warranted. And I think the reason was because if you look at turnovers, right? Like how often is coaching that has to do with the turnovers? Zero. It's like a guy fumbles. Okay. Is that, is that the coach's fault? No. All right. Maybe if it wasn't coached correctly, high into, okay, but you can't at the end of the day, it's players, not plays. And so if the plays weren't working, which certainly they were based on the numbers you just said, they're number one in the in in offense in that category the last five games. Then to fire a guy like this, it, it makes me believe that it's a much deeper issue. It's not just the on the field um, turnovers. I mean, a fifth of their drives the last five games. You're telling me twenty two percent are turnover worth? Like that's wild to me. That's a very high number. That is no way, shape, or form what you want to do. But you can only do so much as a coach. And so when you look at this, maybe six weeks, if we go back six weeks, uh, like in the future, okay, and we go back and look at this time right now, I guarantee you, you won't sit there and say, oh, you know, Joe Brady made this offense so much better. Like, it's just, I, it, I think that might it. happen, though. Because I, I think I the turnovers may normalize and yeah. they may just they may start turning the ball over at an average rate. <laughs> Nothing else may change. And then because they got better, everyone will say, well, they fired Ken Dorsey. That was what they needed to do. When in yeah. reality, it was probably always going to get better because the turnovers to a certain extent, the decision making and him pushing the ball into tight windows that can get him in trouble sometimes. But yeah. the fumbles and so much of the stuff that we've seen over the last couple of weeks is random shit. It, it's random. stuff that will not continue to happen. So I absolutely can see a world where they go on a run, they start playing great on yeah. offense, and everyone says, oh man, they needed to make the change. When in reality, that has nothing to do with why they're playing better. And that's what I tend to say. It's like like anyone else that's looking out there and not digging in deep into the numbers like we are, they're going to say that. But they could do this with Dorsey at the helm. Like, that's what I don't understand. And, and, and honestly, you could sort of, like, we should have all, like, of course, you saw it too, right when this news hit Twitter and X, like, it was the meme of Dorsey just slamming the, <laughs> the, the surface down and freaking out. Or like, oh, we should have known then that, you know, he was going to be fired. And it was a funny meme, but, like, I just think at the end of the day, I don't necessarily think it's hard to tell now that he's fired, but I don't necessarily think that him and Sean McDermott saw maybe eye to eye on maybe strategy or game planning or use of personnel or, you know, under like, cause, cause when I did watch the first half and the first half was really when they struggled, they got a little bit better throughout the game. There was no under center runs. There was no under center play action. And then finally they were just like, hand the damn ball off. Like let Murray, let cook, Eat and they ran for probably I don't know, I don't even know how many yards were I didn't check the stats but they ran for a lot of yards like Cook was Cook was over 100 Tavis Murray had a hell of a game and it's like that's what Josh Allen needs when he's in a little bit of a funk like the interception Josh threw the first one tipped okay like all right like it was it was open and should have like there were six drop passes in the game like you're gonna put that on Josh like people don't understand like the completion okay there was I counted six and in the out route to the field he was late. Footwork was awful. He sh he hitched one too many times. He left it inside. Bad throw. Okay, so one bad throw and then a slipped handoff. Like people, because because I got well, it. He had the, he had the other one that should have been picked off on the second yeah, drive that was yeah, not yeah. where the, the should, linebacker should have had it. He you got he took some chances in that game he didn't need to. But I yeah. think people are going to look at that game as emblematic of Josh Allen's season to this point. It's not. He has the lowest turnover worthy no. play rate of his career. Everyone has that Jets game. 
deep in their minds where he threw three interceptions and everyone's going to have this game in their minds. And that's understandable. In between those two games, he actually has not put the ball in harm's way that often. He's thrown a couple picks, but that's going to happen when you have his play style. So I think overall, again, I don't know if what happened on Monday night was necessarily representative of what the Bills offense has been to that point. And I think you're making a decision based on a game, and even if it's a couple games, where the randomness of some of these turnovers is probably going to come back to earth a little bit yeah and i just at the end of the day someone had to fall on the sword right like like is it is it sean mcdermott trying to be like hey like i'm trying to save my job not saying he's gonna get fired or anything like that but like is it that move to like hey joe brady we saw what he could do in college had a little bit of uh he's in that's that's the thing about joe brady it's like people don't understand he he got fired halfway through the season okay by by rule and they didn't see eye to eye so is this going to be his chance like that's that's lost in this whole thing because his his name the last two years has been in head coaching cycles like he's yeah. gotten a ton of interviews and and I could see something where hey he gets he gets a shot here and they go on a little run they make a deep run of the playoffs it's like okay you know quarterback now you're OC all right we want to be full-time OC. he's going to get back into the head coaching cycle and um yeah I mean look and what I was going to say is I got a lot of people like, hey, is Josh Allen broken? Is Josh Allen broken? I'm like, no. In fact, and I said exactly what you said. He's playing some of the best ball in his career. And I even think the Jets game, minus those three turnovers, like he played pretty dang good against a really good defense. And so the fact of the matter is they're five and five. They're in full-on freakout mode in Buffalo right now because this was a team, if you talked about them at the beginning of the season, it was they were in the top three conversation in the AFC. Like it was just, that's just how it was. And then you look and you start doing, and it's deeper on this offense, on the struggles. It's like, hey, why didn't Stephon Diggs get in the ball? Why don't you have a run game? Why don't you have a, like, and so all this, I expect to change. And at the end of the day, like you said, the turnovers will normalize. And and they might they could go on a run here, although they had like the toughest schedule. Well, coming that's up the problem is anyone. the, the yeah. schedule they're staring down as part of this issue is that oh they have gosh. such an uphill battle with the teams that they're playing. But I, there's so many things that maybe you could tweak some things here and there, right? Josh is up near the top of the league in the amount of RPO attempts he has this season. If you have a quarterback who's maybe trying to push it a little bit too hard, maybe you just line up and run the ball a little bit more often. Take that out of his hands. Yeah. So stuff like that. But I don't think those are wholesale changes. I think those are small mm-hmm. tweaks that you can make over the course of the year. And to Dorsey's credit, they had been doing a lot more of that stuff during his tenure than they had yeah. toward the end of the Brian, Ta- Brian Dable time there. They had under center runs. They were using heavier personnel more yeah. often. I think they were trying to figure out some of this stuff. They had gone to less under center play action over the last couple of games compared to what they did earlier in the season, but they still had that element of the offense. I feel like they were poking and prodding for some answers, and yeah. it it just is unfortunate that the turnovers got so bad over the last couple of weeks that ultimately I think that's what does him in. Yeah, and I think I think what you're going to see in Joe Brady, I mean, like I was with him for two years in the Saints when he was an offensive like quality control guy, like when he was first starting out, mm-hmm. and he was always always like a bright mind, innovative offense. So it's not like you're going to see wholesale changes within the offense with him because let's face it, you're ten weeks in, you are who you are. But you will see maybe a different strategy of how you implement it, on how you coach it, on how um, maybe Josh Allen has a little bit more say 
in the offense and what he likes and what he feels comfortable with. They're going to go back and fully self-scout. I guarantee you they're already doing it right now. The past 10 games, hey, what are we really good at? What are our weaknesses? Okay, let's just do more of what we're really good at. We got something in Murray and Cook. Let's lean on that. And they're playing decent defense too. But like you said, it's it's the schedule from hell almost coming up. I mean, it's like the third toughest schedule to finish the year. So you're going to learn a lot about the Buffalo Bills here in the next six or seven weeks. Was there anything about the structure of the passing game that you felt was lacking or you felt was putting too much on the quarterback? Because there are some people who really study this team closely, you know, Bills fans, people that are looking at this offense just saying, you know, there are so many op- times where there's nothing coming back into his vision when he has to come off his first read. It's a, there's so many things outside the numbers. You're putting so much on the players to win some of these one-on-ones and so much on your quarterback in terms of the difficulty of this stuff. Do you feel like there are certain things that they could lean into a little bit more to maybe make things a little bit easier on Josh specifically yeah what I'd like to see him do and and they did a little bit of it not a ton it's just more pure progression plays and what does that mean it just means hey Josh look here if he's open throw it if not throw to this guy if not take off and run like Josh isn't one to sit in the pocket and get through three progressions he's never played like that and quite honestly that's what his stinger is it's one two go and when he goes it's either really good and he's running and they're they're balling out or two he's running to throw um, the football and to buy time. And that's what makes him special. In my opinion, he's never going to be a guy that sits back there and goes one, two, three, four. Right. So I would almost like sort of what they're doing in, in, in Denver right now. It's like, Hey, Hey Russ, one, two, take off, like, like simplify it for the guy. And what I did see is a little bit more of like, Hey, this side, uh, uh in two by two formation, you're going to throw this versus cover two. This side in two by two, you're going to throw in cover three. You're going to get to a man. That's too much thinking for Josh yeah. at the line. Like he didn't, and I did see a lot of that and, the, and I, I get it, but that's, that's sort of what good offenses do. You have to be able to trust your quarterback. Hey, you, you can't just give him a pure progression on everything because everything's not going to just be open. But I do think that there needs to be more under center play action shots. And that's when you can get the pure progressions. Now, quick game. I get it. Give me a quarters answer on this side give me a cover three answer on this side and if it's man then I can check to something like yeah you can live on that 20% of your game plan but when you do it a little bit more than that it just puts a lot on your plate and that's sometimes honestly like that's sometimes with RPOs because there's a lot that goes in on a quarterback's plate for an RPO it's like and and honestly Josh had uh, a couple zone reads he misread in this game and just kept them and so if you're doing zone reads where the quarterback's having to read, you're doing RPOs where the quarterback's having to read an end and then a second level defender and then decide, hey, am I throwing this slant or the outside slant? There's almost such thing as like, there's no plays off mentally for a quarterback. And people are thinking, well, he should be on every play. Well, there's something to be just said, hey, under center, just hand the ball off and go naked fake. Like, give me a break, like I, truly. I, I, and there's none of that for Josh right now. It's so funny that you say that because that's exactly what I was going to say is that a lot of coaches I've talked to specifically that kind of come from that, you know, Kubiak, Stefanski, kind of under center world. The thought is, I just want to give him a couple plays off every once in a while. And that was in regard to Kyler Murray coming into this season with Arizona. It's that if you looked at what he had to do within that old offense for the Cardinals, he's on every single play. At the very least, if you just line up under center and run the ball or even use some play action where it's it's, it's defined. 
It's yes. defined. You don't have to worry about everything that you have to read out. Yeah. It's like, all yes. right, I'm going to get to the top of my drop. It's one, it's two, it's check down. And they only ran three yeah. under center play action plays in that game, and they didn't use a lot of under center running the ball. So we'll see yeah. what happens. The other thing, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole on this. We spent a lot of time on it. But the, the footwork thing that you mentioned is interesting because I remember talking to Joe Brady a couple summers ago and discussing kind of the some of the light bulb moments when coming into that staff and how they do things. And I've always joked about this, that a lot of the Bill's offense is no rules, just vibes. And when (laughs) you watch some of his footwork within that offense, that's how it is. Like he's just kind of feeling stuff out and playing a little bit off schedule. And that's a feature, not a bug of what they do offensively. So I wonder if maybe if you change the coordinator, you have somebody come in who maybe hadn't come from that world with Dable when they were putting all of this stuff in, is there a path where maybe you tighten some of that stuff up a little bit? Maybe you change that just a little bit to maybe play a little bit more on time in control than they've done so far because it, I think it lends to Josh's st- play style and his skill yeah. set, but I think it also can make him feel a little unsettled at times. Yeah, and I think that's probably the number one thing that that Brady's going to have to to do. And he and it's not like, hey, you're going to go in there and have some serious conversation with Josh Allen. Because Josh Allen is still, in my opinion, top five quarterback in the league. Like that, I said he was, an, he, I said he was the MVP of the league last week. And I, I believed yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And so it's like, it's it's not like he's broken. It's just like, hey, you might have a little chat. Hey, man, like, what do you like to do? All right. Let's just clean this footwork up a little bit. Like, let's get you more quick game. Let's get you more uh, uh, pure progression. Let's get you on the move. Like, go take off, bro. Because when you use your legs, we're a better offense. All those subtle changes can add up to be a big explosion of offense, depending on who you're playing and how the game planning aspect, that's what a lot of people understand. The game planning aspect of it could completely change on who's involved with saying, okay, we have 50 plays on the whiteboard for the Denver Broncos. Say last week, we need to get this 50 down to 25. Okay. You got 10, 10 quick game. You got, three or four five step you got three or four seven step you got 12 play action you got some screens and that's that's the game plan and then we're going to get on the third down later so i think that is going to change and that's going to be interesting to see when it's going to be impossible to know unless some reporter gets in and and figures it out but i think it'll i think that's the biggest change you'll see is who's involved in the game planning and play design process i will say that watching them and, and this is just my untrained eye watching them it kind of does feel like that a little bit. Like it doesn't feel quite as cohesive and kind of building on itself as some of the other really good offenses that we see in the league. Yeah, it, 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 I would say that that is correct. It, it's a little bit random. It's a little bit picking from everything. And some, like like I said, that can get in the quarterback's head a lot. It's like, hey, tell me who we are, and let's just let's major in that. Like a couple of years ago, when we were struggling running the football in LA, it was like. Okay, on bye week, we said, hey, we're doing way too much stuff. Let's run duo and let's run gap schemes and major in that 10 different ways rather than like inside zone, outside zone, gap scheme, uh, duo, like all these things. And sometimes like simple is better. And um, like like everyone used to keep it, keep it simple, stupid. Like that's the truth. Like you don't have to do all this crazy stuff. Uh, Just execute what you have. Again, I think that there are better days ahead for the Bills offensively just by sheer luck. I don't know if we can say that about the next team that we're going to talk about here. Another team that really struggled in primetime last week was the Carolina Panthers, who could not move the ball at all 
against a Bears team that has not exactly lit the world on fire this year. A couple things, I, well, a couple of reasons I wanted to dig into this. One, this is the number one pick we're talking about here that's quarterback in this offense. And it's been a while since we took a hard look at him on this show at all. And two, and talking to Diana Rossini this week, it sure sounds like this staff could be in trouble if things don't turn around here over the second half of the season. So let's try to get to some of the root issues here. If you're trying to pinpoint what you see as wrong with the current Panthers offense, where would you start? Um, a couple things, and we can go on in detail on them. Number one, the pass pro is, I mean, it's not great. <laughs> like it, it just is what it is. Um, the receiver room, there's zero separation down the field. Okay, so that's hard to throw. And, and the Bears just lined up and played man. And there's no run after catch. Look, I think Thielen's an awesome guy, and I think he's a great receiver. But if he's your number one, then like you got to have separation because you're only as good as your receivers. If your receivers aren't getting like like literally, I haven't seen the Bears play that much man coverage in, in my entire life. Like I just watched it, and it's I'm pure just disrespect. Like, it's and that's pure, all it is. And honestly, and honestly, but it's even it, what's even more disrespectful is not the man coverage that they played. It's the quarters coverage they played where you can press the guys. And those safeties were at eight yards. Like, it was wild to watch. To, to, to run past us. And, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. And then that just really was the root issue. And, and, I, don't, and I don't love – I don't love – actually, I, I really don't love um, his footwork and the way he drops. And it's just so casual, so nonchalant. He's never on time. He's never ready to throw. The timing needs to be sped up. And so all of those issues, I would say, are sort of the root cause. But the biggest one for me is the separation down the field. Like, there's just, there's, there's none. There's none. Like you mentioned, every single member of that secondary is squatting less than 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. When you watch it from the All-22, that's where the real disrespect comes in. You're absolutely right. And because you can just sit on everything. So the windows that they have to throw the ball into are non-existent. And the pro- one of the issues that I see, and I wonder if, if you agree with this or not, he doesn't want to throw the ball into tight windows. Like whether he he he's just not confident in his arm strength or what he's seeing. He's not letting it rip even when there are some windows to throw the ball into. The fact that he's not assertive enough right now to drive the ball into some of those windows when they're most of the time they're non-existent anyway, it's all starting to compound in my mind. Like it's all coming from different directions to kind of lead to what you're seeing right now. Yeah, and I think that's that's true, and I think it's sort of what I said as well because the the tight windows for the Panthers are a lot tighter than most teams, and yeah. so I don't fault the guy for saying, "Hey, I really don't want to throw an interception here just in case I'm not pinpoint accurate." It's not like so I don't think he doesn't he trusts himself. That's not the issue. The issue for me, is those receivers not getting separation. And that's true. I mean, it is. It's like there was very rarely anything open uh, against the Bears. He hit that deep corner route on time and in rhythm, got smoked doing it, and that was the best throw of the day. And then otherwise it was like – One of the only times they pushed the ball down the field the entire game. And it was was a really good concept. It was like, hey, a corner route to hold – a shorter corner route to hold the corner. And then since that quarter safety is inside leverage, you have a deep pile on deep corner, which he threw. It was perfect. 40-yard gain. And um, it's also – it's just it's just really hard to play quarterback to when 
you, you know, your foot, your foot works a little off, but then if you're, it's like you hit your third step and you, the rush is already on you. So like that, they're not playing super well up front. And then another thing too, like overarching theme, I think for me is like this team personnel wise was built how Matt Rule wanted them to be built, not how Frank Reich wanted them to be built. And so they were a shotgun inside zone team. Now they're now they're like a huge spread them out college offense, and they weren't they're not built for that. You look at them, and that's why they don't have any receivers. And and we said this in our in our production meeting, and I'll say it here on air is like I don't know if you put CJ Stroud in this Panthers offense, he's not doing just as bad. Or if you put Bryce Young in CJ's offense, that he's not balling. And so that to me is like, that that might say more about really the Panthers offense than anything. The fact that you have no respect or no acknowledgement from the defense that you can push the ball down the field kind of, it short circuits the offense from the start. That's a huge issue. But the other aspects to it, beyond not having enough speed, they don't have enough change-ups in terms of how they're deploying their personnel. Right now, the only team that uses 11 personnel on more on a higher percentage of their snaps than the Panthers is the Rams. Okay, The team that's in third is the Bengals. So I want to use those two teams as examples of why you, sometimes you can live in that world and why sometimes you can't. The Rams can live in 11 personnel because if you watched a Rams football game... The Good amount work. of motion and crazy shit that you're seeing before yeah. the snap is insane. Yeah, yeah. Like, And they have some juice now with Tutu Atwell. So even if they don't have a ton of overall team speed, or it didn't in previous years when it was Woods and Cup and kind of those kind of guys, and they're still shredding teams, is because of the amount of motion and the amount of bells and whistles you see within the offense. That's one. The Bengals are right behind the Panthers. Another way that you can live with this sort of static personnel is having the best players Having the best players tends to help. The Bengals do. The Panthers don't. And now, even the Bengals, who are playing 11 personnel on about 80% of their snaps right now, they're starting to use so much more motion. They're starting to change up the ways that they align guys. So the fact that the Panthers are one of the most static teams in the league in terms of personnel, and they're near the bottom of the league with play action percentage, motion percentage, everything. If you're going to be at a talent deficit in your receiver room, you better be at a schematic advantage. And that is certainly not the case for them right now. That's such a good point. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I mean, it's like it's exactly what I said. It's a college offense, two by two, three by one static. It's exactly what in like the point you brought up was the 11 personnel. And it's just like, all right, we're just going to sit out there. And do you like, I, you know how hard it is to play quarterback like that? You know how much pressure it puts on you, especially the number one pick, especially as a rookie, to go out and run an offense that's just like, okay. And they're not even doing like bunch formations or stack formations every once in a while. But like at least that you give the defense. Like, so it'll be interesting to see. And it's interesting to hear Diana talk about like, you know, because I, I just don't know. It's like, you give you give the coach one year. You give Frank. Wright, I'm a big Frank Wright guy. Like I, I believe in him. And you give the coach one year, and through ten games, you're already it's already being talked about. Like, hey, if you don't pick it up, like that's not fair because he came in and he had he has Matt Rule's personnel. Like you give him one year to do that. So I, I just think that's absurd. Um, and I do think that um, people are crushing. I mean, they're crushing Bryce Young. I don't think you can put this on him. Like, yeah, he's got to play better. He's got to 
trusted a little. They're just not a good team. They're not a good team. Like bottom line, that has no indication of who you are or who you can be as a starting quarterback in this league. I'm trying to pull all of this apart, and it's not easy to do. I was talking to somebody with the Colts last week, and we were discussing this, and I was like, man, it just feels like if this keeps going downhill with Frank in Carolina and he gets canned, everyone's going to remember the last couple years and just be like, man, was Frank Reich ever good? I remember watching the 2020 Colts when Phillip Rivers was there and how much fun I had watching that fun. offense. Death by a million meshes, and they were just doing so much cool stuff. And you watch that 2018 offense, and I know Andrew Luck was in it, and that helps. But I think the design of it and how aggressive they were and the ways they were using T.Y. Hilton, and again, the personnel was better, but I still think that it was a well-coordinated offense. And I don't yeah. want to have this kind of retrofitted revisionist history about the fact that Frank Reich was never good at this because I don't think that is the case. But I just don't know what has happened over the last couple years because where he has been in charge two straight seasons, the guys brought into that situation have become the worst versions of themselves. The fact that this offensive line last year in Carolina with mostly the same personnel you know, they've had some injuries. You know, Bradley or Austin Corbett was hurt at the beginning of the year, et cetera. They've still been trying to figure out their left guard situation. Chandler Zavala, the rookie, is going to step back in there this week. But for the most part, enough of the pieces have been the same where you were getting good play out of this group under James Campen last year, and now it's awful. And then you look, like you said, in Houston. Chris Strasser, their offensive line coach from the Colts last year, is now with the Texans. The Texans' offensive line Every single guy on that line is the best version of themselves right now. So I, I just feel like there are so many examples over the last couple of years of the people under Frank Reich's tutelage within their offenses just getting worse or becoming lesser versions of themselves. And that's scary. Like, if that's the trajectory of this thing, then I can understand being a little bit worried if you're David Tepper and especially if you're a Panthers fan. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Everything you say, that makes sense. And, and um, you know, when Frank took this job... I remember I was on a mountain in Aspen, Colorado, and I got oh, look, I got look called. At you. I got called. Uh, well, it wasn't anything fancy. It was just like my <laughs> wife and I, and I didn't even want to go because it was too expensive. But I was on the mountain in Aspen. I got called by a bunch of different people because they knew that I was with them in Philly, and like him and I have a, a relationship. And they were just like, "Hey, what do you think?" And I was like, "It's a home run hire." Like like Frank, like it's a home run hire, and it's just really unfortunate to where it's gotten to be. And who knows? Who knows how the season's going to end? And when he gave when he gave away the play calling, I didn't think it was the right idea or the right move for him because at the end of the day, he's the mind. Like he is, like in in those meetings in the game, like he is the game planner. He is the game play caller. That's where, in my opinion, Frank shines as the head coach. And so it's going to be interesting to see these next uh, you know seven games or so to see what can happen because at the end of the day, I think Tepper needs to see our number one pick be successful. I, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs. They're not going to win a, and not even have to win games. It's just like, you, you got to see this guy get on a trajectory or start to get on a tra trajectory where he can be good. And the stuff with Bryce is fixable. Like, like on honestly, if I, like if I was the quarterback coach down there, McCown, like I, and you're not going to do it during the season, but I would completely change his footwork. Like, I think it is, it just for a maybe I'm so old school, but like, do you not see it too? Like the the just slow backpedal. It's, it is very he, very he methodical. It, he catches it, pauses, and then the slow. So like he's never really ready to throw. Um, and so I don't know. It, it's just um, 
I'd like to speed him up a little bit if I was uh, if I was calling plays down there in Carolina. I think a lot of people are ready to just throw him out, and I think one of the problems with that is that people are comparing him to C.J. Stroud. I've done this for long enough where there's not a chance in hell I'm going to do that. Like, no. I, I was ready to just dispose of Tua. I was like, it's over. <laughs> like, that guy, he can't play. Like, that's yeah. it, it. But when you see circumstances radically change for guys, you can see a radically different version of who they are as quarterbacks. So I think there's still there's no reason to take it that far because of how bad the circumstances are right now. I oh, will man. say, I do think that his limitations are pretty easy to see. Like when you watch the way that CJ Stroud can operate in messy pockets and get yeah. throws off in traffic, I don't think Bryce is just ever going to be able to do that because of his stature and because of not only his size, but some of the other physical limitations. Like the only other guy who has yeah. played quarterback in the NFL in recent memory that is that small is Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is an unbelievably gifted athlete yeah. and an unbelievably gifted thrower. Kyler Murray has an explosive arm. That's Those were never Bryce Young's strengths. Yeah. So I think that you see some of those physical limitations show up, but we've seen quarterbacks with physical limitations have success in the NFL when placed in the right circumstances. And I just think these circumstances are so wrong that like so everyone wrong. else within that offense, you're seeing the worst version of him. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. And I think I think at the end of the day, what you look at when you look at Bryce Young is he is a pocket passer. He's really good when he has time to diagnose. That's That was what I heard from him is like really smart, really fast processor, can understand coverages, great team guy. And obviously like played for Alabama, never got touched in the pocket. Well, it's a different game here in the NFL. And so his game is not translating very well behind this type of offensive line without these receivers that can get um, separation. But I do think if you put him in an offense that allows him to shine, just like the Tua thing, like when you were ready to write off Tua, or if you put him in an offense like a C.J. Stroud type offense or something that can actually, there's, there's meaning behind it. You have stuff on tape so guys and quarters coverage aren't playing eight yards off. Like I think that... Because, I mean, let's be honest, like he's the number one pick and you're not giving up on him anytime soon. So you have to build around him. And I just don't think they're built that well at all around him. His pocket movement at Alabama was always impressive and his yeah. instincts and his feel. But I don't you haven't been able to see that. And I wonder if that uptick in athleticism, in size that does exist. Right. Like I know he comes from the SEC, but it's a yeah. different sort of world. Like watching him try to play against Montez Sweat. It's a perfect example. They're leaving some of those open side boots yeah. to Montez Sweat's side. Montez, he can't throw over him. Like, he, he just can't him. do it. And so I do think that that's real. Like, even though he played in the SEC, the change in athleticism and size and speed from the guys that he's playing against up front now is just different. And I think yeah. that you're he hasn't been able to kind of extend and be a playmaker in that same way at this level. So, again, yeah. I think that there are plenty of reasons why we've seen this version of him, but there are still limitations that are shining even more now because of what's surrounding him. The last thing I wanted to ask you, I, you bring this up, you played for Frank in Carolina, or in, in Philly. Does this resemble anything that you would expect from a Frank Reich offense? And if not, why? 
Yeah, that's a good question. You know, when, when Frank was building that offense with Doug Peterson um, in Philly, um, it was a lot of what Doug wanted to do. And sure. I think I think that Frank got Doug to open up even more on the aspect of RPOs. And then you saw what Nick Foles was able to do under Frank Reich with the RPO and lead them to the Super Bowl. I mean, that Carson Wentz was – he was the MVP if he wasn't getting hurt um, that year. And, and so – um, I, I think what Frank has done, and then even his time in Indy, was very similar, in my opinion, just from a, a ski, schematic standpoint, was very similar to what Doug was running with his own little flavor of things. Uh, and they even called it the same things. And I'm really not seeing that type of... Um, schematical and like scheme, I guess you would say down there in, in Carolina. And I don't know why. And, and you got to imagine that they have all the other guys trying to build this offense around Bryce and what Bryce does well, maybe not is what like Frank did. And so I think as at the end of the day, you got to stand on something. You got to say, Hey, look, this is the offense. Like we're going to run it. Okay. We're going to install it. This is what I know. This is what I think is successful because he's had success with it. Um, and obviously through the years you evolve and you get better and you get all that sort of thing, but I'm not seeing any type of cohesive game plan or route concepts or, and maybe it's just because the receivers aren't getting separation. So it's hard to even see the routes come open before he's he's sacked or has to get off his spot. And so it's a great question. And 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 I do think that, you know, what Frank is probably going to do now is be like, here, here's our bread and butter. We're going to stick with it. We're going to get creative. Or he better. Or like you were saying, it could be his job. My, the thing I go back to, talking about Bryce's background, what Frank succeeded with the highest levels, and even the two-up comparison we just made, just build the plane on RPOs. Yeah. Like that's what he did in college. That was the basis of Alabama's offense when they were just destroying people. So just leaning into that world rather than this very static, traditional yeah. kind of drop back NFL world seems like it would be a beneficial path for everybody involved. And I know that's easy to say, but it just seems like there are some answers that are hanging out there if they wanted to be more committed to leaning into them. Yeah, I mean they got to figure it out, and they got to figure it out fast. And and, and I do with the RPO, I, I agree with you. But to have an RPO, you actually got to be able to run the football. And I don't think they're a good running team. So well, should it help you run the ball if you can block one fewer guys? I know, and but you, I'm you, I'm you stop you, the safeties from screaming down because you can throw but, it right behind them. And I and I think they've gotten to such a place in their offense where you're playing quarters coverage at eight yards, so everyone's press, and you're playing press man. RPOs are not made for that. Yeah, they're not, not made for man. that. They're yeah. made for they're not made for press man. They're not made for this tight quarters coverage. It's like a cover two or a cover three or a normal quarters. Like that is what I want an RPO against. And and when you have an RPO versus man, it's like all right, I'm just gonna hand it off. You know, it's just like all right, well, forget it. And then they have an extra guy in the box. So it's just like that's what teams are playing with. So they're probably getting away from that. Like oh man, like we got to do something else. I just wanted to see them take one shot a quarter. Even if it's not there, yeah. just just throw it once a quarter, just to have them loosen up just a tiny bit. They got to scheme it up because they ain't got no receivers running past guys. <laughs> That's for sure. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right. On the flip side of Carolina's issues, and we mentioned this a little bit, is the success that Houston has been having so far this year. And a lot of people, I think, naturally have compared Bryce Young with C.J. Stroud. But I wanted to go beyond what their production looks like and examine what the offenses are doing. Right. So if Carolina is setting Bryce Young up to fail, it feels like Houston is setting up C.J. Stroud to succeed. So what have you seen from the Texans' offense structurally that you feel like has stood out and put this group in a really good spot with him as a rookie? Well, there's a lot of things. The number one thing from my, from my perspective, and I've broken down this last like three or four games, they are taking shots down the field, man. Like they are not letting guys sit on them. And that is the biggest thing. It's not only like just, when I say shots down the field, let me, let me just go back a little bit. It's like when I say shots, it's not just like go ball throws one-on-one, you hope you hit them. Uh, ever, anyone can do that. Like, okay. It's the scheme that they have within their under center play action movement bootleg game that is next level. I mean, I, I, some of these, and, and it's not only that, but it's when um, Slowick and Shane Day and Jared Donson, when they're calling it, because it looked like against Cincy, like they saw Cincy were like, hey, Cincy is in single high zone almost every single second down. And if you watch the game on all their chunk plays, every second and four to eight, they are calling under center shot plays and like hitting them to Noah Brown. Like it's, it is 
it is unreal because they were like, I don't care if on third, if if we if it's incomplete on second and seven, we'll, we'll call a third and eight beater and it'll, we'll, we'll be fine. And so just the vast amount of stuff that they have in, like, and I know, and I know Shane Day, I was with Shane Day, but that whole offensive staff, like they, they deserve the credit because it is Kyle Shanahan type stuff, but they're doing some, they're doing some next level stuff. And it's honestly because CJ Stroud can handle it. He can handle it from a mental aspect. Um, and, and it's like, like a simple thing such as like a movement. So on play call sheets, we'll have these movement plays and most of the movement plays and most of the play call sheets I've had and offices have had their shot plays downfield. Okay. And there might be six or seven a game. And we always as quarterbacks like, just call them, just call them, just call them. Even if it's not there, like we will, we will check it down. We won't because it's just like, it's good stuff. Like you don't want to, like, I, I remember in, in New Orleans, it was like six or seven and it drew would be like, Sean, like call them all. I promise you we will hit some. If not, then so what? I'll throw it away. And we got to a point where Drew was rolling and we were calling six or seven a game of just shot movement under center, really cool slot, uh, uh, like play action stuff. <laughs> when I look at CJ, it's not only like that, that menu is like 14 plays and th because they are just continuing to call. And it's not only that, it's like so many different setup points by a quarterback. He's got a shotgun, which would be, or like a pistol, um, play action game where he's moving in the pocket. It's not just like fake. It's like a true heavy play action of bringing two tight ends back shots down the field. It's under center movement where he's faking to the left and setting up in the a gap or another one faking to the left, setting up all the way on the other side of the hash, throwing across the box. So it, the, the sheer amount of stuff that a defense has to prepare for when they deal with this offense and by the way, they were without their starting running back and they still ran for 170. Like, huh, what? Like, so, so that is what I'm seeing. It's like they're not getting away from running the football because at the, at the genesis of this Shannon offense, it is the run game. And so they are running the ball really well, but because they're running the ball really well and continue to stick with it, all their play action shot stuff is not only working, it's easily the best in the league right now. Their running game was awful for the first month or so of the season yeah. but yeah. they've continued to do it and i think part of the reason they've continued to do it same reason that the niners have continued to do it in years where it maybe hasn't been as efficient because yeah. it allows everything else to come together if you're going to run the ball consistently on early downs teams are going to play you that way and the amount of heavy boxes they're getting against some of these looks there the percentage of their runs that go into heavy boxes on first and second down are some of the highest in the league well guess what the percentage of cover three that they see on early downs is one of the highest in the league. So they're simplifying coverages with some of this personnel stuff, and it's allowed them to push the ball down the field against some of these looks. And we talk about this with Josh Allen. Those plays where they're moving the pocket, even though you're asking him to make a difficult throw, mentally, you're still taking something off of his plate. He's yeah. setting up outside of the pocket, and he's either ripping it or checking it down. Yeah, and there's so, two reads. There's two reads exactly on that. It's like one to check down. That's it. And that is mentally an easy thing to put on your quarterback. So you combine that stuff on early downs that is fun as shit to watch because he's <laughs> yes. aggressive and he can rip it. So every single time they do that and he's setting up outside the pocket, it's one of those moments where I feel like I'm just like standing up on the couch because I'm ready. I'm just ready for whatever's going to come going? next. 
But then you combine that with the truly high-level stuff he is doing in high-leverage moments. That throw that he hit to the sticks to Tank Dell that didn't end up going for a first down but was an inch short, that's the type of stuff where you're combining all of it. Where we talk about how the Panthers, it's cascading in the wrong way where you're putting so much stuff on him and then you're seeing the worst version of him. Here, you're giving him some easy ones on early downs and then you're asking – him to be the guy he's been in some of these high leverage moments. It's just the right combination of stuff, making the game easier while also having a guy who is clearly a dude and all of that stuff working in concert is awesome. Well, and that's, that's the thing. It's like, it's working in concert because on those early downs, they are giving him some easy plays to just sort of relax, but also his physical traits are just take over and he's building that confidence. Yeah. That's the thing that people don't understand is such a big deal outside of okay just the x's and o's like you want these like i always thought like on the first or second play of the game just give me a little, like a little stick route just let me get that first completion out of the way or that on the first drive like just give me an easy one that's what the texans are doing and boy is it is it like took off from there because they are giving him some easy ones but he's making the easy ones and he's like okay i can play in this league i can make that throw like the throw did you see the throw to the tight end um on like second and long and the tight ends running a dagger route and he hits them in stride. It's man to man. They in and out it and they hit, they hit the tight end Dalton Schultz. Is it Dalton Schultz? Dalton Schultz. Um, Yep. Dalton Schultz. And I've never seen a tight end run a dagger route and actually be in the progression. And the fact that he's in the progression, then he actually throws it to a tight end on like what would be a receiver route, like the trust he has. And it was like just a shot. It was just like a BB right in his helmet to a tight end and tight coverage 20 yards down the field. I'm just like, I'm looking at that. I'm like, okay, people don't understand like all the layers of that play. It's supposed to go a little return route, but the return route was was covered and they built leverage on an in route by crossing them and then the end comes open but it takes a little bit longer and that's what i saw too in a couple of these breakdowns and, and i don't want to say uh, he, okay, he's not tom brady his feet remind me so much of how brady was in the pocket because it's just pitter pat pitter pat pitter pat pitter pat now brady would just sit Okay, he's a little bit different where he just keeps his feet moving, but it's not these massive moves or swings in the pockets like you used to see Drew Brees do and like massive movements. It's almost like build a wall and just let me stay back there deep enough. And then just with his like release too, like all of that is is really, really cool to watch. I mean, you're you're literally watching history right now happen as one of this will go down. I don't care what the numbers are, just from terms of quarterbacking as a rookie this will go down as one of the best seasons ever for a rookie one of the coolest things he does is how quickly he can get these balls off and some of the i've said this a lot of other guys when they're in traffic they'll drop an arm angle to throw the ball around a guy the fact that he will change the trajectory at which he throws to throw over people in tight spaces part of the reason that he can so quickly get those balls off is his feet are always ready to throw his feet yeah. are always ready for him to throw. It is incredibly cool to watch. And I'm 100% with you. Like When I watch him play, I, I just feel like I'm watching one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Like There you are going to be moments where he gets fooled. 
And he almost yeah. threw a pick when they were in a they were in a cover zero look. They dropped the linebacker out. He got fooled. That sort of stuff is going to happen. He hasn't banked the mental reps in order to kind of overcome some of that stuff. That comes with time. But purely process-oriented stuff, he is already one of the best processing quarterbacks in the NFL, mentally and the physical process of how he plays. And it's just unbelievably cool to watch and you combine that with an offense that is putting him in the right spots and is giving him some of those easy decisions easy throws combined with everything that he's doing on his own and I think that's what you see and I think it's important to contrast what we're seeing there and what we're seeing in Carolina and just how different it is CJ Stroud on his own is probably a star right like if you put him in an average situation he's probably a star but it's being accentuated because of everything that you're seeing in, in Houston. That play yeah. you talk about with Dalton Schultz, it's such a perfect p- play to point out because there was a play in the Bears game where Hayden Hurst is the number one receiver outside yeah. in a three-by-one formation, and he has no shot at winning yeah. against a corner. Absolutely no shot. Dalton yeah. Schultz did it twice yeah. in that Houston game where he's winning on in-breaking routes against a cornerback. So those tiny little differences, I think, have really shined a light uh, and in a bo- way both good and bad, you're seeing all of the warts in Carolina, and you're seeing all of the strengths in Houston because of what's around these guys. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the quarterback is the system, and the system is the quarterback, and they have to work as one. Like, that sounds weird, but, like, I- I've always enjoyed and thought that if if you were called a system quarterback, it it is a good thing because your system – is what you are and what you put out on the field every single day. Your system is the weapons that are surrounded with you, the coaching staff that comes around you, the way that the first 15 is. That is the system. It's not just like, oh, these are just so scripted, so easy. No, like you still got to go out there and do it. And if you're in a good system with good coaches and good people, you're going to play a long time in this league. And that's what you're seeing right now in uh, in Houston, and what you're not seeing is, I, I, I don't know. It's it in Carolina. It's difficult for me to say it's a bad system yet. What I see, it's the bad personnel. And so, one of the, if one of those things are off, I don't care who it is. It can sway so much back and forth. And so, that's the biggest difference for me with CJ and with Bryce. Like they're going to be forever linked. Like like that, that's just how it is based on how they went one and two. And boy, it, could it not be any more? different for CJ than it is for Bryce right now. I wanted to ask you, this is a very bad question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. (laughs) When you're watching an NFL offense, how do you know it's a good offense? How do you know what you're watching is well-constructed, it's thoughtful, it's putting guys in positions to succeed? What are the hallmarks of that in your mind? Oh, man. Uh, That is such a difficult question because it's not only a difficult question to answer, but... um, I guess when you play it for 14 years, you just you just know, and you, it's hard for you to like go out there and say. But, but and, and I thought a lot about this question. Um, for me, a good offense is everyone being on the same page and everyone working for that one common goal. And, and it was like, well, okay, well, what do you what do you mean? Well, it's like it's the trust in the chemistry built. It like it's not even play calls in my opinion. It's knowing the small tiny details and everyone is bought in for it and and such things as like hey 
on this play, we're running an out route to the field. I want you bottom edge of the numbers, okay? You better be on the bottom edge of the numbers on this out route because it gives us the right amount of leverage. As soon as you move to maybe even the middle of the numbers, a yard, one yard, in a quarterback, in, in, the receiver doesn't even think twice about it. The quarterback hits his back foot, one, two, three, ball gone, which it should be on a quick out, and the receiver catches the ball out of bounds. You're thinking, well, it's not on me. Like, I, I did my... And then you go back and you watch the film, and we're like, I freaking told you to be on the inside edge of the numbers. And that's the difference between... There's thousands of examples of stuff like that. Hey, uh, offensive lineman, when you're run blocking, okay, every once in a while, go in a two-point stance. Okay, everyone, like, switch it up. Like, there's so many different things. And it's not only, like, a lot of it has to do with, you got to have good players to be successful. And you got to have a good scheme. But the, the, the best offenses I've been around, take for instance, take for instance the New Orleans Saints offense. Can you tell me that we had one superstar receiver that everyone was like, no. In that five or six year run where Breeze, Marcus Colston, seventh round pick. Devery Henderson, Robert Meacham. Okay, Jeremy Shockey was there, but he didn't have, like, it wasn't, uh, like, you know. So, Lance Moore, okay? Like, the, the biggest superstar we ever got was Reggie Bush. And maybe Jeremy Shockey, but Reggie Bush was there. He's a running back. It's different. And Breeze was putting up 5,000-yard seasons. Like, it was nothing. And so, that, to me, is what, that's what I know is, like, a really great offense. 2011, we were, um, I think we were, like, the third best offense in the history of the game in terms of yards, points scored, everything. And that's when Darren Sproles had one of his breakout years, same with Jimmy Graham. But you can't tell me, look at the offense and be like, that was loaded with superstars, man. No, it wasn't. It was because not only did the coaching staff know how to use its personnel and deploy it, but also every single person was bought in on one common goal, and that was executing one play at a time, one drive at a time, one game at a time. And it became such the small details of it and everyone bought in for it. And that's a long winded answer, but that's for the most part, what I, what I think. I, I I'm completely with you. And I think the Texans are again, a very good example of this. You can go back to so many different games that they've played this year. Let's go back to the Pittsburgh game and how thoughtful the plan they had for TJ Watt was all these heavy personnel packages, tight ends slicing back across the formation to seal them off chips every single time that no. that's one element of it. Two plays that stick out to me from the Cincinnati game. One, we talked about this on the Sunday night show. There's an in-breaker to Noah Brown that he hits, and they're playing quarters, I want to say. And so he bends outside while running vertical before taking it back across the middle of the field. So if he bananas that thing even a little bit, the safety's driving down on it. But because he bends it outside while pushing vertically and he snaps it off, the safety doesn't have time to drive down on it. Yep. And then there was a long run that Devin Singletary had where Robert Woods is inserting inside and the buy-in from the receivers blocking. That's another one where I can just tell, like you said, everyone on the same page. And this yeah. Texans offense, like it's it's why I like having these conversations because sometimes it's hard to figure out how to articulate it. Like why is why is this team good? Why is this play caller good? Why is this quarterback 
being put in positions to succeed. Sometimes it's hard to find the actual details as to why, but if you watch the Texans long enough, even a moron like me can see some of it and just say, look, I I get this. I get why this is actually good and something like the Panthers is actually bad. It's subtle and it's quiet sometimes, but I do think that those details are what shine through. The details are what matters, and that's the only thing I've ever – or I ever was coached really in all of the years I've been in. It's – because if you look at like top down from player one to player 1500 or however many there are in the, in the league, um, there's really not like that much difference. I mean, there, you know, in, in the thing that separates a lot of people, I've, I've known a lot of receivers that have played in this league a long time, maybe not been stars, but have just done what they're told, done what they're coached, done what they're asking, just had that extra little bit of juice to stay on with the team for six or seven years. I mean, that's Lance Moore in a, in a, in in a nutshell i mean he was so good at doing exactly what drew told him to do at the exact same time and so the details of it matter and and it's hard to see from a naked eye if you're not trained to see those details on any given sunday but the game is full of that and and all the mistakes usually happen is because it was it, it was coached correctly but a detail happened or a mental error happened or stuff like that. And that's what um, is is the difference between like a good offense and a really great offense, in my opinion. And I think we're seeing the Houston Texans take their step toward being one of those great offenses in the league so far, based on everything that we've seen. All right. That's all we got for today. Have a couple other things we're going to get to on some later shows, but really wanted to dig into those pretty meaty discussion topics and those quarterbacks who have really stolen a lot of the headlines this week. The Deshaun Watson injury news came out earlier today, you know, just before we started recording, essentially. We're going to dig into that with Nate tomorrow on our preview show. So if you're looking for a discussion about the Browns, their future, what's happening there, that will be coming your way very shortly. For now, that is all we've got. Please go check out everything that exists on the Athletic Football Show channel in the Athletic Football Show universe. Go talk, uh, mention that Frank Wright conversation about his future. Please go listen to the Rossini Report with me and Diana. Dig into that. The Dorsey firing, a lot of other newsy stuff. Prospects to pros, as always, available to you in your feeds right now. And we will be back with our Week 11 preview on the feed on Friday morning. So please come back and check that out for now. That is all we got. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.